again, everyone. Welcome to the Enduro World Series podcast. My name is Rick McLaughlin, and joining me, as ever, is Rory Cunningham, our resident sports coordinator, hair grower, and general lifter of heavy things. Rory, we um, we may have been conducting this. We may be conducting this over the internet, I should say. But I can see that you have a look of the outdoors about you. What have you been up to this morning? Is it does my windswept here give it away? Yeah, you kind of you kind of have that thing you you smell a bit of I don't know trees. Yeah, well that's funny you say that. Actually, I've just come uh, out of a meeting with uh, FLS, so First Land Scotland, regarding the Tweed Valley EWS race here in September. Mm, that's exciting, but they must own basically vast tracks of the Tweed Valley, mustn't they? Yeah, I think I, I mean most of if not. Oh, I mean, ninety-five percent of the the kind of the trails that we we know and love in the Tweed Valley are on forestry land, so it's obviously quite an important relationship. And um, I think one in recent years is is starting to develop and and get better. So um, yeah, it's it's obviously important that they're on board and that they support us and that that we're also uh, supporting them and what they want. And yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it's an important, it's an important relationship for sure. How are you finding that um, side of things? Then you're obviously sports coordinator, sports director, but um, it's a bit of a just for anyone who's just tuned into the podcast. You're actually tasked with developing those courses for the e- for the Victoria EWSE and EWS Tweed Valley races, and a big part of that is talking to people like FLS. How are you sort of finding that multifaceted responsibility thing? Well, I'm, I'm now a seasoned sports coordinator after my three rounds last year, Rick, so it's... Uh, this is it. This is it. <laughs> it's no problem. But, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a hell of a lot that goes on behind the scenes uh, to, to, in order to organise these sort of events. And something that, as a racer... I know I was somewhat oblivious to. Um, I mean, obviously, when you when you attend the races as a competitor, and, and especially if if it's your job and that's what you you earn your kind of living through, then ultimately there's there's big pressure on you to perform, and and all your time and focus and energy goes into thinking how am I going to get the fastest times during the stages on Sunday. Um, but now in this role now I'm kind of seeing things from the other side of fence so other side of the fence so to speak um you definitely begin to appreciate what goes into planning an event um you know in some cases it's months maybe even years of preparation uh of you know organizing and that sort of thing to host one of these things and you know sometimes hundreds if not thousands of, of volunteers I mean thousands over the course of the season for sure and you know all the land permissions um that people wouldn't think about like I mean here in the Tweed Valley for example like the the forestry the predominant the majority of the stages are on forestry commission or FLS land but then the the event hubs so the 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 kind of expo and then the team pits they're owned by somebody they're owned by another landowner and then you've obviously got to deal with the local council regarding um, road closures and if we're putting on any you know speed limits, temporary speed limit reductions for their volume of riders and stuff. And, you know, that's just, they're just things that are course related. You never mind the the rest of what goes on into it. So, um, yeah, something definitely as I've, I've taken up my role, something I appreciate more. 
Um, and it never fails to amaze me, you know, how how much work goes into it, but also how many passionate and driven people each kind of local uh, local organised committee has, and, and that want to, you know, see the EDBS uh, come to their town and, and put on an amazing events. So it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of, to be honest. And then obviously the Tweed Valley, a home event for for us, for me. Um, I feel I feel now that pressure to to make sure that everybody comes here at the end of twenty twenty one and and has a ball and is is talking about it, you know, for the for the rest of the the off season. So um, it's really starting to grand. It's really starting to come together, isn't it? It's really beginning to feel like a proper sort of festival, isn't it? Really, I guess you say of mountain biking. Um, it's been a real eye opener, I think, not only for you but for myself as well. Just um, the sheer amount of effort that goes into you know putting on one of these races, and I think understandably you and I have both I mean for different reasons obviously but you and I have both turned up at various places and just focused on the sporting component of it and mm. with you how to compete at your best and with me how to like how to capture it and tell the story of it but I think what we're getting a real look at with this um, Victoria EWS and EWSE Tweed Valley race is going to be the the actual mechanics of it do you know what I mean the actual Mm. Um, as you say, all the little things that go into creating a great experience for everyone. I should say as well that um, the team at the Tweed Valley Race are still looking out for volunteers to help at the races. And if you are someone who fancies getting closer to the racing, closer to the stages and the EWS pros than anyone else, including ourselves, then... Drop them a line, volunteers at EnduroWorldSeries.com and I think they can cover expenses and there'll be some there'll be some element of EWS goodies included in that as well. So um right, I am petrified that one of us will let some kind of key detail that about the course out that um, people will start to work out where it is. So let's move on quickly from that. Um, <laughs> Good idea. First of all um, I need to start this podcast properly with a bit of a public apology and I don't know if I've got that polite thing where you're sort of apologising for something that people didn't know about so if you just kept your mouth shut you wouldn't have to apologise but um, I had actually planned that this very episode was going to be recorded from the road um, We, I was down your way last week, last Friday uh, with yourself obviously and we went to the Chain Reaction Cycles squads team camp uh, I think their last big ride they just did a big everyone ride we were very we were very kindly invited along I recorded a load of audio around it and I thought this could be a really interesting sort of little change of direction change of feel um, I did the old Alan Partridge driving along talking into a dictaphone um, <laughs> but unfortunately it was Unusually for the Tweed Valley, somewhat inclement weather when we actually got riding and the stuff I recorded whilst on the bike um, between wind noise and water noise, it was basically like I was talking to people in a helicopter in the North Sea with the doors open. Um, so <laughs> massive apologies, especially to Katie Winton and Keelan Grant. Uh, I apologise, I celebrated too early. You were indeed the first people that I've interviewed whilst also riding a bike. You were both very patient and those interviews were really good, but I just I tried my best yesterday and I couldn't clean the audio up enough to put it in the podcast. So I think I can hopefully transcribe those and they'll probably run on EnduroWorldSeries.com, but I think that is something that 
once I figure out uh, how to better record that audio, we can we can do in the future. Um, I did that thing where I was too confident too soon, really. I know that's uh, that's a difficult one for you to understand. Um, it was good fun though, wasn't it, the team camp? Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, it's difficult not to have a laugh when when Paige's there, and um, I'm sure I've mentioned it on this podcast before. But you know, I started my career with uh, Chain Reaction Cycles uh, back before Nuke Proof was, was even a thing. So that's a huge you. <laughs> I'm sure that has a huge you somewhat. Sure, I'm, I'm sh- yeah, I'm showing sure my age there, I don't know. But um, look, I've got really fond memories of my time with Nigel and all the crew from from Chain Reaction Cycles. So. It was uh, it was great to catch up with them. Great to catch up with Michael and um, unfortunately Biggie and Kurt Russell uh, wasn't there. But uh, shout out to him because uh, I was I was asking after him. Um, but yeah, we got, we got sideways in the mud, didn't we? And uh, that was yeah, great fun. Biggie, uh, Biggie, a great crew. Biggie in from Chain Reaction actually. Um, I was back home. Um, I can't remember. I, I was back home for a week or so and. There was a race, where was the race? It might have been Castle Wellen, maybe. It might have been Ross Trevor. I think it was Ross Trevor. And I'd been chatting to Ian about something else. I was still at MBUK at the time. And he said, well, if you're back home and you want to race this race, I'll get your bike sorted out from CRC. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And I think Vitus, they just sort of brought out, it was either the first or second range of good full suspension Vitus bikes and he lent me an Escarp which was the first time I'd ridden a full sus 29er trail bike for any distance and it was a monster of a day like you were riding I think for an hour and a half to get to stage one and it was like five stages like it was a beast of a day <laughs> yeah yeah I quickly realized that obviously this was not going to be my breakthrough moment in terms of uh, getting between the tapes but I had a great day um had that thing where I knew that, tell you where it was, it was Ross Trevor. I had that thing that I knew that um, my family, my then girlfriend, now wife, were coming to watch and um, ran out of talent on one of the last jumps on that famously tricky jump line at Ross Trevor where somebody had put a rock garden on the landing of one of the jumps. Basically, <laughs> like, complete, like, cartwheeled the bike down the rest of the stage, jumped up, like jersey like i tore the jersey open on my shoulder and as i rode down it sort of opened up further and further that like a bag of crisps and um a hairy bag of crisps like a hairy bag of crisps yeah they took the took the vitus back to big and he sort of looked at me and went bike went well then and i was like too much bike for me yeah you can take it back but um yeah no that wasn't yesterday but uh we should talk about um keelan grant who was back at that camp he's obviously a lot of time off the bike um, undergoing shoulder surgery. Um, I think he saw both sides of it, didn't he, in that last year wasn't a year that you particularly wanted to be going in and out of hospitals. But at the same time, there wasn't a lot of racing to miss out on either. Yeah, so Keelan actually reached out to me um, in during last year about, about his shoulder. And um, obviously, I'm... Uh, I'm pretty experienced when it comes to shoulders. I've had a few myself, um, so uh, I put I pointed him in the direction of a surgeon that I'd I didn't end up getting surgery with, but I had had a meeting with, which was uh, Doctor Walton, and that was I ended up um, who he went with. So I mean, I should definitely be on some sort of commission there, please, uh, Doctor. I don't think shoulder commission exists, does it? Well, it should. I mean, 
you did. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been cheap, so I'll uh, I'll claim some commission anyway. But um, yeah, the procedure he had, it's I don't know how, but it's uh, called a latarge, which is um, also pronounced latterjet if you're from Scotland. <laughs> um, but it's a, yeah, it's a pretty hefty one, to be fair. Um, it involves uh, taking the crocoid process, which is like a small piece of bone at the top of your scapula and, and the attached ligament and then effectively you 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 cut that take it off repair the shoulder and then when you you put the he told me I had the bone graft so they, they put the bone or they screw the bone onto the front of the the glenoid to effectively prop it prop the shoulder up and give it more support um so yeah it's, it's a pretty hefty one and um I had a very similar one myself but on the on the the back so a posterior one um, but they, you know, it, t- it takes time, and you know, talking to him, he seems to be doing well with his recovery, and uh, something he'll just have to keep on top of um, through the season and probably for the next couple of years, just making sure that he's building as much strength and stability into that shoulder as he can. And um, yeah, like like you say, with with last year being fairly quiet, it was probably the the best time he could have had that sort of injury because um, you know, I'd I'd say you're talking twelve months before it's it's back to how you you know 100% confidence in it so i think the extended off season this year and 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 the that last year off for him would would have been uh, would have been welcome yeah great to see keelan um he like apart from anything else i really enjoy catching up with him because a we know a lot of the same people b i find him very funny and c my accent comes back like a brick through a plate glass window you know, we start talking I did notice that yes yeah, so it's pretty cool I like it um, he was also I have to say I mean he's obviously always looked very fast on the bike to me but he was looking really comfortable on the, on the bike as well and that's not something that you can often say of someone who's had a lot of surgery lately do you know what I mean he was looking like he was moving mm-hmm. really well on the bike and that um, he could because he's a big dude as well isn't he he's quite you always forget that with Keelan he's quite got a big frame um Mm-hmm. Also there, of course, Elliot Heap. It honestly took me a while to remember how fast he can not only talk but pour weathering put downs onto you. Um, I like to feel like at least when fully caffeinated, that my brain works reasonably quickly. But he's just something else. Like I'm formulating a response to his first put down, and he's already got three or four more digs in, and then has moved on to someone else. By the time I get it sort of formulated, but. Looking really, really happy, isn't he? He's looking like he. Elliot looked in top form. Yeah, I think uh, those pies of his must be laced with caffeine or filled with espresso. Because <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a fast talker and uh, potentially even faster uh, rider if that's possible. But um, yeah, he seemed in great form. He's always if you <laughs> once you get past the fact you're you're bound to get a slagging from him. He's he's a great lad and. Um, a quite a big year, I feel for him. I get that. Um, I get a whiff of that as well. He's been training a lot with Fit Four Racing, who um, they also train Adam Brayton, who was on that ride, Danny Hart, and a few others. A lot of enduro motorbike guys, and he's was it training three days a week. He and it's a big journey for him, sort of you know wigging up into Cumbria, mm-hmm. and then um, it's basically like it's that proper sort of intimidating. Black gym, black ropes, lots of heavy stuff, tops off, do it until you puke, like, mm. really intense. And I kind of feel that 
that level of just extreme fitness coupled with his natural talents on a bike we could see some big results from him this year I think yeah I definitely think we could and you know I also feel you know last year he had a although the season was, was fairly short he had a couple of good results um, but you know he's now coming to like a couple of years out of the under 21s and um, you know I think it's I think this year's going to be kind of important for him to establish himself rather than being Sam's teammate you know I think mm-hmm. it, it's going to be important for Elliot to establish himself as you know as his own kind of you know kind of dominant rider you know as far as the the UK goes you'd have to say he's arguably the UK's leading rider going into this season um, I'm sure you know Matt Starr, Mark Scott, Lee Johnson would have something to say about that but um, yeah, I think I think it's an important year for him, not only in terms of the kind of results, but almost establishing himself in the kind of you know up in the EWS category. You know, we're, we've been excited about the under twenty ones that are coming into the category this year, and I think Elliot's progression last year, last year and the year before, kind of almost just went under the radar a little bit because. You know the talent is just the, the level just, of talent he's yeah. got. You, he was you, halfway you through that. It's... Halfway through that ride, he identified a fence that he was going to jump over out of. What <laughs> I'm not going to tar up as a takeoff or a bomb hole, or it was literally a hole in the ground that he just basically managed to calculate that if he hit the hole in the ground fast enough, he could get over the fence, and he did a couple of times. Steve McQueen his way over it. Um, he did. <laughs> I um I think last season form as well. Um, we talk a lot about how much young riders can learn from established champions that they might be sharing a pit with, but I quietly think that last season, Sam not being at the races, Elliot maybe getting a bit more attention than he would have done traditionally in that setup really helped him. I think having Ant Hale, who he gets on very, very well with at the races, um, rooming together with Ant and stuff like that, I think that's helped. I, yeah, I, he's one of those riders that I definitely think there's a lot of energy around him and that could start to translate into results. Um, just on the subject though of Keelan with that um, shoulder, again obviously you've had your you've had more shoulder sagas than there were dings in that Vitus after I'd finished with it, but setup wise, is there anything you can do to a race bike to make it a bit easier to ride or is because the problem with shoulders I'm guessing is that, you know, like a lot of joints go in one direction, whereas a shoulder goes in a lot of directions, doesn't it? Is there anything you can mm. adapt on the bike to make that a bit easier, or is it just tape it up and go for it? Um, I think there is. Obviously, there's so many different shoulder like sh- shoulder problems you can have. Um, something that helped me when I started getting back on a bike after shoulder surgeries, or the first kind of, you know, six weeks or whatever, when you were starting to ease into things. Um, something I used to do was actually put a few extra spacers under my stem and get the front end of the bike higher. Um, there, when when you're going down and when there's kind of more weight through your hands, it sits a little bit higher, so you feel a little bit more upright. There's more weight then through your feet, um, and you get away from that front end kind of diving sensation if it's sitting slightly tall. I'm guessing. I'm um, guessing that's the that's your sort of your worst nightmare is a a big compression or a a big hole that, for whatever reason, you've not clocked or you've ended up in and getting a shock through the shoulder that you weren't anticipating. Is that kind of worst nightmare after something like that? 
Yeah, pretty much. Like the more, the more stretched out you are, so the kind of further your hands are, kind of forward and down. Obviously, the more weight is on your, the more weight is on your hands, therefore transferring to your shoulder. And then if they're further forward as well, it's that the more stretched out your shoulders are, so the more your arms are in front of you, which kind of opens up the joint. So, um, yeah, like certainly when I. When I was coming back from my shoulder problems, I tend to like bring the bring the bars back a bit, so I had a pretty short stem and quite high. Um, and then as I kind of got more comfortable, I would just, you know, go back to what I what I was on originally. So um, there are little things you can do, but I mean, ultimately, it's got to be at a point where if you hit a bump or if you hit a, you know, hit something you don't see, and the bike suddenly kind of just like, you know, when if you hit a route that you don't see in the front end, suddenly just grabs and pulls one way. Um, you've got to you've got to be at a point where, if that happens, <laughs> you know it's not like your your hands move and your shoulder or your your hands stay in the same place and your shoulder moves. Yeah. it's got to be the other way around. So and it's not um, like a it's not like a knee is that you can't get you know one of those big motocross knee braces to keep it in a straight line or it it, it does have to have that range of movement. Um, one of the things was interesting, Elliot. Um, so basically, we were there on the Friday. They'd had all week to try their different bikes out and the workout setups. And um, Tweed Valley, of course, is if you're working on setups, it's pretty much a dream, isn't it? The variety of trails and tracks you have there. Um, Elliot's gone for the Nukeproof Mega. Now, in the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about the Giga as it was released the day before. Um, and one of the things we did sort of ponder with some quotes from Newt Proof was, would everyone just jump ship to the Giga, as that's the new long travel, um, what they're calling super enduro um, style of bike. Elliot's remained on the Mega because he says he feels it's a bit popular. So he was working on, I think, getting the Mega just set up exactly to his liking, whereas Keelan was on the Giga as he reckons it helps to smooth things out a bit. Any surprises there for you? Not really. I think you've kind of pretty much covered it. Obviously, Elliot, we spoke earlier, Keelan's a fairly, you know, a fairly big lad and, and Elliot's a bit shorter. So, you know, maybe he feels more comfortable on, on the smaller bike with, with less travel. Maybe he feels he doesn't, he doesn't need it. Whereas, you know, Keelan recovering from that injury and, and being a bit taller, um, he maybe wants things, you know, as forgiven as possible. Um, but you know, truth be told, I think they've got two really good bikes at their disposal, um, and it really wouldn't surprise me if you know we see both of them switching at some point during the season. Yeah, definitely. Just on um, the subject of nuke proof gig, is then we also caught up with Katie Winton, as I mentioned, she was earning her new custom nuke proof gig. Looking pretty steely eyed as well, wasn't she? Um, I think you're right, actually. I mean, you said, um, you said a few times actually that that switch to the privateer setup could just light a fire under Katie that could see her back on the podium again this year. It's certainly, she certainly looked in great shape and seemed to be very, very comfortable on that bike. Yeah, like I, I think I said in some previous episodes, there's a fresh start might be. Um, the best thing for her and, and what she needs, and uh, but yeah, she seems happy. Uh, I think the bike being, I guess, like a, a big little bike's a good way. Of putting it, it is, you know, isn't it? When you a, when you see it in the metal, it is a big little bike. If that makes sense, it's you know small and small in stature, but big in performance. You know, lots of you know big lots of travel, and she's got a Zeb on the front of it, and you know it's um, yeah, I think it's. It's you know it's it's gonna be 
it's going to be a new experience for her or something she's not had to deal with for a long time being a privateer, but she seems pretty determined to crack on with it and um yeah well the fing finger fingers crossed she she gets herself back up there and and uh, back on the podium well in that interview she did um she did allude to just how stacked that pro women's field is going to be this season uh, we actually ended up comparing it to um what happened i think you're talking four or five years ago in the the women's world cup xco field um when all of a sudden there was you know there was an established uh an established i don't want to say older guard but more experienced set of racers and then a wealth of young talent coming through as well um which makes mm. for really exciting racing which is great for fans and competitors alike i guess fair comparison um we are also makes our script writing a bit difficult, doesn't it? If we don't, if we don't know who's going to win, it makes. <laughs> if there's about ten of them, it, it makes. You've got to have a few different endings. Script the script writing's my favourite bit. Script writing's my favourite bit. Sitting down with a, with a coffee and a, a bit of a blank page in front of you and looking at some timesheets. That's my favourite bit of the week. But anyway, um, we were not riding the course with me. The riding the course with you is obviously a highlight, really. I mean, but it's not your favourite bit. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's not I get really nervous about that course preview. I don't that's not the that's not the jovial the jovial ride that I I managed to make it look cuz it's it's a difficult you mean we've talked about it before you don't find it difficult to ride and talk I do. Um and <laughs> it's a weird thing for I think someone on my level to have their their riding out there in that sort of style but I do I love it when it's mm. done but um nah sitting down writing a script for a really nice highlights film is kind of the happiest I am all week usually um, bless bless I know simple things isn't it simple <laughs> things for simple people look um, we are looking forward to the epic Hope PMBA Enduro at the end of the month in Graveweight down in the Lake District big race six stages 20k via a thousand metres of vertical I think those climbs are famously brutal I think you're talking pushing the bike up a hill for the last bit of every climb, really. Um, if you listen to this from somewhere else other than the UK, if you haven't been to the Lake District before, it's kind of if Lord of the Rings was filmed in England, that's where it would be filmed, isn't it? It's that beautiful backdrop. Unsurprisingly, lots and lots of lakes, but also lots of really stunning hillsides and some quite steep stuff as well. It's traditionally where they're... Um, it's traditionally a fat, fantastic area to go mountain biking in, actually, but it also has its fair share of access laws, limitations, um, due to how many different people in different sports want to enjoy it. Um, the prospect of some proper enduro stages there all taking place on the Graveway Estate is an exciting one. There's been a huge demand for spaces on this one. And just last night, actually, the organisers released 50 more after the first couple of hundred went in. I think it was literally seconds they went in. Um, healthy smattering of pros too taking the start line Greg Callahan, Keelan Grant who we've talked about Lou Buchanan on that new Norco setup, Elliot Heap Polly Henderson, Bex Barona, Martha Gill Chloe Taylor, Joe Barnes some hitters in there isn't there plus all of that uh, local talent and downhill stars such as uh, Adam Brayton and stuff I guess as well Yeah there's kind of a who's who of uh, British and Irish uh, enduro racers uh, seem to be entered for it. So, um, yeah, like like you said, the lakes is an amazing place, and um, Graithwaite's some somewhere I've, I I don't think I've been to. I've, I've been in the lakes a few times, but usually I'm just 
there with Adam Brayton, and he's just saying, "You know, we'll go away, mate." <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really ask what the place is called. So, um, but yeah, look, they're not, they're not short of uh, big hills and, and good trails. So, I think it'll be really interesting actually to to see who comes away from that. I mean, obviously, it's an interesting kind of makeup. You've got some, you know, I mean, Greg Callan, he's won and he's won EWS races. Um, Kieran Grant, Lewis. Elliot Heap, they're all you know top ten, top ten guys on a good day, mm-hmm. um, and then the, you know you got the same with you know Bex, Martha, Chloe, um, but then it's going to be interesting factoring your kind of your local downhill guys like Adams, so should be a good race and uh, yeah, but I'm excited to see how that one pans out. That's the first of the UK ones this year. It's an EWS qualifier. They're also promising spectacular Lakeland finish area. Camping, beer tent supported by Kirby Lonsdale Brewery, which it all sounds idyllic, really. Um, Kirby Lonsdale, um, you know the useless information you carry around in your head for absolutely no good reason. Kirby Lonsdale jumped out at me when I was uh, writing the script for this because I think Take That's Mark Owen played football for them a couple of times after Take That split up. And I think they may have had an FA Cup run, although I'm not. 100% on that um, Polly Henderson we should talk a bit about her on board uh, Juliana Bikes again for this year she was the fastest woman there last year uh, they did manage to run the event last year she was a rainbow jersey gold medal winner at the Bluegrass Trophy of Nations back in 2019 as part of um, Team GB's junior outfit um, this will be our first opportunity to see her in action this season are you expecting big things from Polly this year Ruri? Yeah, I think you know Polly. Polly's a, a very promising um, young racer from Scotland, and um, yeah, was part of the the British team that that won the Trophy Nations back in twenty nineteen, and um, yeah, she's set to stand on a lot of podiums this year. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's funny you mentioned her actually because there's actually in the Tweed Valley today there's a there's a Tweed Valley Everest Challenge from some of the base that some of the base students are doing. So break it down. So that's so that is you've got to climb the equivalent height of Everest. Yeah, which is what eight thousand. Is it eight thousand meters? I think off the top of my head. That is something that, as an adult, I should know. Um, as a dad, I should definitely be able to recite off the top of my tongue, but I don't actually know that. So I've got the I've got the climb. Uh, I've got the the kind of page in front of me here. So. They're doing it in the Tweed Valley. It's, it's happening today as we speak. Um, they aim to do 48 laps of the flat white trail uh, up the golf course, which is 100 me- 180 metres of climbing per lap. So if I get my calculator out, that's 8,640 metres they're planning on riding today. So They're doing it in one, um, in one day. In, well, it might, it might pass over into two days. I don't know, but... Um, they're planning on doing it in a day. They're trying to raise some money for uh, the local Tweed Valley Mount Rescue Team, which is obviously uh, a great cause. Something that I think most of us, you know, hope that we we never have to use. But um, you know, in the event of something happening, we're obviously very very uh, thankful that you know th- the kind of services like that are available. Um, well, listen, I definitely think we'll we'll. We'll put a we'll put a link into that um, where you can donate into that into the description of this yeah. podcast definitely. Um, so it's 
It's Tweed Valley Everest Challenge on Instagram. They've got a page and they've got a link to the to the crowd the kind of the charity or the just given page from there. So yeah, good on them and I hope um hope everyone's going well for them. You'd you you wouldn't be long in doing a set of tires going up and down flat white, any kind of lick. Um Maybe maybe tires are a factor. I don't know. Um, I'd yeah no, I wouldn't even like to do that on my e-bike to be honest. But well done to all of them. That sounds like a really really worthy cause. We should stress um, just bringing it back for a second to the Greyfoot race that the event is only being allowed to take place in accordance with UK government COVID nineteen legislation. With outdoor events starting back up here uh, and on the seventeenth of May. So if you are racing, please brush up on those. Thankfully for us all, actually, enduro is a sport that you can actually function within social distancing measures. Um, but there won't be any spectators permitted, unfortunately. So if you want to get into that beer tent, possibly with Take That's Mark Owen, who'll be there doing keepy-uppies, I'd assume, you <laughs> you have some pedalling to do around great weight first. Um, oh, Let's get a van update. Where are we? I've seen in our work group there are pictures of... Is that our van? Is that specifically our one with some um, designs potentially on it? That is that is our van. So, wow. yeah, we've, we've branched out. We've got uh, basically the biggest, highest, longest um, VW Crafter we can possibly get um, being delivered tomorrow, uh, I believe. And um, they'll, they'll be taken out to Europe this year. I should say, um, I was showing my, my five-year-old daughter pictures of it last night, and she was absolutely staggered by the size of the van. And the only thing she was more surprised about was the fact that you and I are allowed to drive it. Like, she, she already <laughs> like she already clocked she that that might not be the best course of action. But it really is huge. It's like Thunderbird too, isn't it? You could put... Um, you could put like a couple of Piaggio Apes in the back of it and have a great time abroad. Yeah, some uh, well, we well, be golf clubs in it. So would yeah, well, this, this is it. Like we could have van clubs. We got some van golf clubs. Um, yeah, so that's so that's arriving. Oh, we should record one of these from the front seats of the new van. That's what we should do because I'm really excited about that. I feel that it's something that's going to be good fun. Um, um, one of the things we need to come up with a name for it. Yeah. Should we open that to the open that to the listeners? What should we call what should we call the van? Sensible an- answers only. Sensible answers only, please, in the comments. I'm I don't I'm not a great one for naming vehicles, but I do think the fact that it's the biggest vehicle that we could legally buy means that it deserves some kind of title, so let's have a look for that. Um Right, I've also had a brilliant idea for next week's podcast, which may or may not be recorded in said massive van. What I thought we could do, and I want, I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to go away and have a think about it. One win wonders. So riders that have only won, I say only in inverted commas, one Enduro World Series race. Because okay. we've got a spreadsheet in our drive system that's obviously got all the winners and sort of like time gaps and all the information from all the races throughout the years. And I'm pretty convinced, I had a good scan of it this morning, that there's a really, really good story behind each one. So I think next week we should run through those and just take a take a wee stroll down memory lane, Rory. Would that suit? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, off the top of my head, who has won just one. I mean, obviously, 
last year we had, uh, I guess, Morgan Shaw and Melanie Pugin that was their mm-hmm. first wins. The very first EWS uh, I ever covered was won by a single. Well, I know, I, I know, the Masters brothers have won one each. Yep. Uh, there's some. There's some. Do you know what? There's some names in there. I don't. I don't think we should. I don't think we should go too far down the path on this because we'll end up just blowing the lid off the podcast for next week. But <laughs> there's a couple of names in there that I honestly, even as close as it, even as close to it as I am, I would have thought have won a lot more than one, and they haven't. So let's yeah. let's read. Are we talking? Are we talking EWS only? We're not. We're not go venturing under twenty ones, are we? Oof! No, that's a different. Because because I, I the, yeah I know the a, a certain current downhill world champions one for one <laughs> in his EWS career. He is as well. Reese won. Reese won an under twenty one, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. I think he was maybe the only under twenty one to beat Elliot Daly that year. The thing is, who was the first? Who was the first UK dude? Adrian uh, Elliot Daly. Adrian Dai. Sorry. Who was the first UK dude to win an EWS stage? Some stunning hunk with long hair, it's beautiful in the wind. It was you, yeah. I, I heard it was some yeah, um, yeah. some retired van driver. Right. Anyway, listen. <laughs> let's do that next week. Riders who've won an EWS, right? Riri, thank you very much. As always, speak to you soon. Cheers. Oh, let me know when the van turns up as well. Cheers. See you in a bit. Bye bye.